glory to God. Praise God. Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. We're missing some. I know a few were traveling today. Mother's Day may have taken some others, and I think we just plain worn some people out. There were some lot of services that were going on on the on the four days. Some of you made made it out to them. Some of you made it out to all of them. But it's good to have you here with us this morning. As we get started, I'm going to ask uh, one of our ushers if you would bring me up an umbrella. Now, the smallest one that you have there is fine. And while they are working on on doing that. It was a Sunday morning, and Henry headed off to church. It was a rainy day. How many of y'all can relate to that? <clears throat> it was a pretty hard rain. In fact, the rain was coming down really, really strong. Henry had a convertible. So he closed the roof, and he drove on off to church. On his way, as he was going down there, he saw three people huddled underneath of an umbrella. Three people underneath one umbrella. He said the first one was Mrs. Fletcher. Mrs. Fletcher was an older lady. She had arthritis. And it was hard for her to get to church, especially on rainy days. But she insisted on getting to church on her own. So she was waiting for the bus. Along with her was Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones was a general practitioner of the area, and he was directly responsible for saving Henry's life. See, Henry had traveled overseas and contracted a very rare disease, which the doctor caught, saved his life. The third person underneath that umbrella was Jenny. See, Henry had a crush on Jenny, but never been bold enough to ask her out. Seen her in church, but just hadn't taken the opportunity yet. But the car that he was driving was a two-seater. It only has room for one person. So he had to decide within seconds who was he going to offer the seat to. Of all those three people, who would you offer the seat to? So in those, those short seconds, he made a decision. He pulled up in front of where the three people were underneath, huddled underneath the umbrella. He gave the keys to Dr. Jones. And he helped Mrs. Fletcher over to the passenger side and helped her in. And he stood underneath the umbrella with Jenny. <laughs> Was that not a wise decision? We came in contact with umbrellas this week. Thought you'd enjoy an umbrella story. So we look at the series on submission. I'll hang on this. <laughs> As we look at the series on submission and authority, one of the things that authority does for us is they offer for us a covering. It is a covering that authority does that as long as we stay underneath of the covering, we are sheltered from certain things. Some things don't get to us. If we're in the rain, we like an umbrella because it keeps our clothes dry. If you're in the sun, how many of you know an umbrella provides protection there too? Who goes out to the beach without some kind of an umbrella? 
for those times when you don't want to be under the sun and you want a little bit of shade. Those umbrellas help us out. When the elements that the umbrella is supposed to shelter us from begin to come down upon us, it's generally not a defective umbrella. It's generally our position. We have moved out from the position that the umbrella provides protection for. If your umbrella is too small or you're too large, it may have a hard time protecting you. If the wind's blowing, it can get that rain to, to come up underneath. But the umbrella is there to, to help us out, to protect us. And authority does the same thing. It's there to protect us. We think of this so much, you know, with the, with the little kids. Mom and dad, what, are, what is their... One of their primary roles is protection. And so mom and dad will say, don't do this. Not because they want to keep them from having fun, but it's dangerous for someone that age to do. You know, if you have a two or three-year-old and they want to drink, how many of you give it to them in a glass? Yeah, we laugh at that, right? And if we see a glass in their hand, we generally take it out of their hand and give them something plastic. It's most unfortunate because milk is best served in glass. One day my granddaughter will realize that and never go back to plastic. <laughs> but in the meantime, we offer, we, we say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't go out into the street. Don't go over here. And as long as that child yields to the things that mom and dad say, the child under, operates underneath that protection. But how many children even yourself maybe, have gotten hurt because we strayed from the commands of mom and dad. Don't do that. And we went ahead and, and did it anyway. I would keep you here until Tuesday telling you the stories of the times that I stepped outside of the commands of mom and dad. Because it did happen often. You know, you're testing the boundaries over here and of course there were those things that you just never did tell mom and dad. We went through, no harm, nobody needs to know. <laughs> Those kind of things that would go on. Probably told you the story that one of the things my mom had said to me is uh, no climbing the trees. We had a lot of trees on our property, no climbing the trees. I don't know if any mom could ever understand the draw that a tree is to a son. I don't know if that's ever possible. And I did not resist the temptation. Every single tree in our yard offered its own challenges. Some of the branches were too high to facilitate normal climbing. Some of them, they, uh, they started off in a V, and you had to climb up that one differently. Other ones were just bunches of trees together. And there was one time after the edict, don't climb the trees, was given. I was climbing up the trees, and I heard my mom, she probably heard the rustle. She said, Steve, are you climbing those trees? She was inside the house, came through the window. No. <laughs> and I proceeded to get down off the tree. And uh, one of the clumps of trees, the tree was dead. I realized I was on a dead tree and tried to move over to a live tree. Unfortunately, too late. The branch snapped. I came down. I didn't lay on the ground to wallow in any pain. I hopped right back up 
<laughs> I'm not in industry. <laughs> but you see, if we operate within this, this sphere of what the authority has told us, we operate within the safety of that authority. And sometimes as we get older, you know, mom and dad may have said, don't cross the street. But we realize we're old enough now to get across the street. How many of y'all realize, some of us, we got to that spot sooner than our mothers? And just letting them go and, and do that. Or the first time they drove off in the car by themselves. First time they stayed away all night. A lot of these things, moms remember them. Dad say, when did that happen? We, we think about these things. But we have, a, we have protection if we will lend ourselves to it. It's the umbrella. And God has given us that protection from himself, by, by himself, from things, as well as other authorities that we have, like parents. Just to review, just remember the four types of correction. There's internal correction. There's self-correction. There's external. When, when things from outside come and remind us of principles or tell us of principles, there's rebuke where someone actually comes and sits us down. It's a little bit more public and rebukes us for the actions that we are doing. And the final one is subtraction where we begin to lose things because of our disobedience. The last time we were together, we looked at the difference between correction and judgment. We looked at correction to those that are under us, correction to those that are even with us, and what happens with those that are over us. We saw the difference between correction and judgment is a matter of direction and purpose. Who are my words directed to and what are my words spoken for? If you are going to be correcting someone in the body of Christ, you need to have a heart for that person. You need to be praying for, interceding for. You need to have a love for that person. What happens in the church a lot of times is there is correction without love. There's no passion there. And that's something that we have to have. We're going to go over to a passage of Scripture we don't teach from very often. It's not a very fun story. I think that's why. It's kind of a dark story. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Now these were priests. Eli was the high priest. These are his sons. As it worked then, that the sons of the high priest became the next high priest in line. So one of these two sons would be the next high priest in line. Can you imagine a high priest who doesn't know God? Well, that happened in Jesus' day. may have happened other times too. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Well, it says that they were corrupt. It says that they did not know the Lord. And then it says they started messing with the sacrifices. And they were doing things with the sacrifices. Verse 15, also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, take, uh, They should really burn the fat first. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Well, this is not good. 
They got into this priesthood for very selfish reasons. They were doing things that benefited themselves, doing things that helped themselves, that we don't want to boil off the fat. We want to take the raw meat. We want to roast it. We want roasted meat. We want boiled meat. So therefore, you bring it for a sacrifice, but we're going to take it all. We just went the whole thing. And this wasn't, wasn't good. When we get down to verse 22, we're going to see that they also had sexual sins that they were bringing into the, into the temple. And um, well, let's just go on over there and read that. Now, Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, these women are described in Exodus 38 and verse 8. And I have a note in my Bible that says those who dedicated their lives to the tabernacle service relinquished all worldly ties and home life. These are the women that were there. And they took these women and they were having sexual relations with them. Now, how does, get to, how does one get to such a level of disregard for the things of God? How do you get to that spot? I mean, not only going against the things that God says, but doing it in the house of God. Coming into the house of God and messing with the sacrifice this way. Taking some of the people who were there to serve God, giving their lives for that, and corrupting them. Getting people in the land of Israel to the point they despised bringing offerings to God because of what the priests were doing. A long time ago, we, we went over some of the things in the scripture, and I gave you this. I thought I'd, I'd remind you about it. Of course, pride comes in, and pride is something that makes us do all kinds of things that are stupid. This is one of them. So just for a, a review from something that happened a few years ago, how can I avoid that? How can I avoid that, from, uh, that pride from getting in my, involved in my life? Well, first off, the, that was uh, the thoughts. The thoughts would come in. It would then begin to affect your heart. It would then begin to affect your actions. You would take actions based on what was in your heart. And then it would begin to affect your talk. Basically, it was your mind, emotions, body, and mouth. It took all those things. It starts in the thoughts, but it moves into the heart. And once it moves into the heart, it became part of your actions, and it influenced the way that you spoke. That's just a review from something a while ago. Some of you may remember that. So Eli was old, but he knew all the things his son had done to Israel. In verse 23, So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature in favor, in favor both with the Lord and men. Now, we skipped the other verse, but if you went back to verse 18, you will find that right after they talk about all these things with these, these uh, boys, they talk about Samuel. And they talk lonely about Samuel. And then they go back into talking about these boys. And then we come back, and the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both the Lord and with men. <laughs> Three times in this chapter and the next, you're going to see talking about sin, talking about the problem with the priest, but then there's Samuel. Talking about the problems, talking about the sin, and then there's Samuel. Talking about the sin, talking about the problems, then Samuel. <laughs> Just such a contrast. There's there are three times that we'll do that in this chapter and the next. Now, he does rebuke his sons. 
Now, his sons never asked him permission to do this. Eli was not brought into this, this stuff that they were doing. But he heard about it. People heard about it, so he, he brought it to their attention. And they apparently didn't deny it. So he rebukes his sons. Not that strongly for the offense that they had done, but he does rebuke them. And it says that they did not heed the voice of their father. There is a need on the inside of us to heed. There is a need to heed. If you don't heed the voice of God, the word of God, the rebuke of God, the correction of God, if we don't heed it, we're going to have problems. I looked it up to the word heed, and it says to give careful attention to, to have regard for. To give careful attention to, and to have regard for. Many times God has spoken things to us in his word, but we don't heed them. If we do not heed the things of God, we are not under his umbrella. We won't be under that umbrella. That umbrella takes on a whole lot of things. It helps us quite a bit. If you've ever seen anything that goes really fast, cyclers, people who ride on a, on a, on a bicycle, if you ever see the professional cyclers or people that are in a group, where they, they do, uh, I think they call it drafting, where they, uh, one will get behind another, but the one in the front is taking the abuse of the wind in the air. And that person breaks up the wind for the one that is behind them. So they have an easier time coming through. And if you've ever watched a cycling team, they take turns at who's in front because it will wear you down more. You'll see this even with some of the military pilots where they draft off of each other. The one takes most of the abuse. The other ones can follow behind. Uh, you can do this with your car. How many have ever drafted behind a semi-truck? You will find out if you do, you don't need as much gas. They will, uh, they will help take you along on, on that. These kind of things go on. We, we've operated under those kind of umbrellas. They take most of the abuse. God takes a whole lot of things that we never see because we're under the umbrella. Parents take on a whole lot of things that the child never sees because they're under their umbrella. Leaders, bosses, other things, other people like this, they take on a whole lot that we never see because we're under their umbrella. But in order to stay underneath that umbrella, we need to heed. We need to listen. So Eli rebukes the sons, but they didn't listen to him. They went on and kept doing the same thing. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling? What dwelling place? And honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming and I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy 
You will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Then I will build him a a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Far cry from what they were supposed to be. So a man of God is dispatched to Eli. And this is what he prophesies. Now when he talks about his house, remember the high priest comes from the house of Aaron. Aaron had four sons and they're listed over in 1 Chronicles 24 and verses 1 and 2. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. Now, I didn't have this in my notes. I'm doing this more from memory. As far as I remember, Eli is of the house of Ithamar. His house will be replaced. And the high priest came from Ithamar for quite a while. But his house will be replaced. And this occurs under the reign of Solomon. Solomon will replace the high priest with one from the house of Eleazar. And so the house of Eli will be removed from being his high priest. That won't happen for a little while yet, but that prophecy will be coming about. Now, Eli's sons would die. They both die on the same day. And it ended up that Eli, once he heard the news of the defeat of Israel and the death of his two sons, that he fell over backwards and died. It said he was a very heavy man, gotten very big. And uh, when he fell over, broke his neck. But you see, Eli had gotten out from underneath the, the umbrella. His sons had gotten out from underneath the umbrella. And when he chose to honor them over honoring God, he moved himself out from underneath that umbrella. And this is the thing we have to be careful about. We have to be watchful for. Because we can move ourselves out from underneath the umbrella. And sometimes some of the plight that we come upon is not from God. It's not by God to teach us a lesson. It's not from the devil. It's simply because we took ourselves out from the protection of God. And we do that because we don't properly understand authority and submission. And the enemy wants to try and move you from a place of being under authority to a place of being your own authority. He wants to get you out from underneath the umbrella. Because you see, he cannot devour everyone. The Word of God says that he goes about seeking whom he may devour. He goes about like a lion. We've talked about this before, but you remember how, how does a lion find its prey? It chases a herd. And as it's chasing the herd, the lions watch for one who separates. One who gets away from the pack. The herd. And once they do, then they get themselves between that one and the herd so it can't rejoin. And once it has it separated from the herd... It's easy prey. Remember the National Geographic shows. 
I've seen this a number of times. Lions chasing the herd. The herd's going this way, that way, this way, that way. And then back in the end, one of them begins to drift back. It's slower. It's injured. It somehow becomes separate. And once they see that, they begin to go to that side. Because they don't need to kill the whole herd. They just want one. They find that one. And see, that's what the enemy is trying to do. He's chasing after the church. He's chasing after the body. See who we can devour. Who will separate themselves. Who will set themselves up as their own authority. Who will come out from underneath the umbrella. You see, if that lion gets in the way of that stampeding herd, very likely they will die. Because those, those stampedes are tough. We all watched Lion King, right? We didn't like it when Mufasa died. He died because of the stampede. I didn't like it when Mufasa died. I just like the name. <laughs> cool name. But see, this is what the enemy wants to try and get you to do. So he put in your outline here. How is it that you are going to be taken out from under the umbrella? What is it? The first thing that we'll do is the enemy will come in and he will have, he will have you find fault in your covering. There's a finding of fault with your covering. That covering, of course, God is our covering. How many Christians who have separated from the herd, separated from the body of Christ? If you go in there, how many of them have something against God? Well, God did this. Well, I don't understand why God did this. And the list of problems with God. Because one of the first things the enemy does is get you to question the love of God. Get you to question the word of God. He wants you to find fault in your covering. So he'll do that with your God. He'll do it with children and their parents. How many of you know parents that separated from their or your children that separated from their parents, ran away, did they? And if you talk to them, they got all these grievances against their parents. Because their mind has been filled with fault finding for their God or for their for their parents. Once you start sowing these things in there and you begin to find fault, you'll find how many have ever found fault with your boss? Yeah, I don't know why they do things this way. You know, if they just did it this way, it'd be better. Right? Constantly find fault with the boss. Constantly find fault with people that are supposed to be a covering for us. We find prophets that are in the, in the body of Christ. How easy it is for us to find fault with them. Brother Hagin was a prophet for the time that he was here. How many people found fault with him? Wrote books on it. Here's the next thing to get you from underneath the umbrella. Seeing them, those that are in authority over you or God, seeing them as hindering, not helping. Well, if it weren't for them, if it weren't for my parents, if it weren't for my boss, if it weren't for, and we name whatever authority is covering us, we begin to see them as hindering us and not helping. I don't see them as helping. Standing out underneath the rain, umbrellas over our head. I sure don't like the color of this umbrella. You know, they could have made this umbrella better. I wish they made this umbrella bigger. Why does the umbrella have to be so noisy? This handle is not very comfortable. 
I wish we had a better handle. I wonder why they made it in metal. Don't they know it's going to rust? We find fault where they're covering. But if you are stuck out in the rain and you have no umbrella and somebody comes over and gives you one, how many of you are just glad to have an umbrella? It's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't even care if it's pink. Just sitting underneath the umbrella. This is a whole lot better. You already got wet. But it's a whole lot, whole lot better that way. Got that uh, umbrella hanging out there for us. And I don't know about you, but I did some research on umbrellas. And you, you know what? You can spend some money on an umbrella. Remember, see that show, The Avengers? I think that's what it was called. Isn't that the guy who had the umbrella? Yeah. I heard, as I was doing some research on umbrellas, I heard how much money his umbrella cost. Wow. I thought an umbrella was expensive if it was $100. I thought that would be an expensive umbrella. You know, I'm used to totes. And I'd buy totes on sale. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not what, what they're paying for. Seven hundred, eight hundred, a thousand dollars for an umbrella. What's interesting about those umbrellas is they don't have push buttons. If you want a push button umbrella, you got to go down. Those folks that have that big umbrella out there, that's not a push button umbrella. That's all hand manual. Push it up manually. And uh, at least that's what I was reading about them. Eight hundred, nine hundred. $1,000 for an umbrella that you have to do yourself. Now, they've got some new concepts on umbrellas. They have one that, you know, you push, push the button and it opens up. But I don't know if they have it out yet. I, I saw it was in development. Maybe they, it was an old site. And, but if you push it again, have you ever had done this, gone into your car and your umbrella's wet and when you bring the umbrella into the car, it, the water runs out on some of your books and some of your things in the car, and they get wet. All right, they came up with an umbrella to address that problem. And what you do is once the umbrella is opened is you push the button on the umbrella, and the umbrella folds up in such a way that it captures the water so that it won't leak out. It actually, and you can actually close the umbrella while sitting in your car, holding it up, on your almost closed door. And the thing can close and come and get sucked right back into the car and you barely get wet at all. And it takes all that water that was on the umbrella and it captures it and it doesn't let it run out on other things. I don't remember who was making that umbrella. It seemed impressive. No idea how much that umbrella cost. Don't really care. I don't use an umbrella that much to warrant that kind of, like I said, totes. $25. Not bad. <laughs> but you can spend some money on some umbrellas. And once you spend the money on, you know, if you're used to a seven, dollars $800,000 umbrella and somebody hands you a $25 tote umbrella, really? This is what you call an umbrella? And you can begin to pick on that umbrella. But if you have no umbrella and that's the only one you got, I wouldn't be picking on it. I'd be, thank you, God, for providing me an umbrella. That would be it. But you see, this is what we do. The enemy wants to get in and get us to find fault with our covering. Find fault with our God. Find fault with our parents. Find fault with our boss. 
We want to see them as hindering, not helping. Once we do that, once we get those two things accomplished, I find fault in the covering and I see them as hindering me, not helping. We then move on to the third and that's where I exalt myself or you exalt yourself as your own covering. You become your own covering. You won't say that. If anybody asks you, you won't admit that. But you have become your own covering because whatever happens has to meet your approval. Well, I don't think that is right. I don't think that's a good rule. Well, God said this, but that was for the Old Testament people. Well, God said this, but that was before grace. Well, God may have said this, but that was before. And that was because of. And we find ways to excuse all these things because I have become my own covering. And I decide what is good and I decide what is bad. I decide what is helpful. And that aside, what is not? Think of it this way. When you were young, growing up, maybe even in college, and you brought some friends over to meet mom and dad, and mom and dad said, they're not good for you. What did we say? Mom and dad, I will sever all ties with them right away. If you say that they are not good for me, obviously they are not good for me, and I will cut off all ties I will not talk with them anymore. I will not have any contact with them anymore. Now, what do we usually do? Well, you haven't gotten to know them yet. Well, you're just looking at them from this point of view. No, they really have helped me. I mean, they, they helped me this way. And they helped me. And mom and dad are sitting there. They're not good for you. There's a bad influence that's there. See, we've become our own authority. How many have ever had friends that have told you that someone you were dating... Or someone that you were close to, they're not helping you. They're not good for you. How many of us listened? (laughs) We didn't usually because we were becoming our own authority. No, you're you're wrong. You're wrong. You know, six months, a year down the road, we find out, hmm, we were exalting ourselves as our own covering. Once we do that, Then we get to the spot where we are going out on your own. Well, if they can't see that what I'm doing is good, I'll just go over here. I'll just do it this way. I'm tired of having a boss. I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to start my own business. I'm tired of them trying to tell me what time I have to come in at night. I'm going to go get my own apartment. (laughs) Right? We go out on our own. And we find out there's some things that aren't so, so good. Now I'm going to have you turn over to a psalm that everyone loves. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, glory to God. How many times do we quote that one? Yes, sir. I'm in the secret place. I don't know where that is, but I'm there. If you were to go up to somebody and say, where is the secret place? I have no idea. How do you know that you're there? Well, I want to be there. So God has to put me there, so I must be there. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. I mean, like that part of the verse. 
Mm-hmm. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. Oh, yeah. When people come and attack me, I just hide out in the fortress. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Won't come near me. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. I mean, this is all good stuff, right? We like this. This is, this is great. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. And ten thousand at your right hand. But it shall not come near you. I don't know about you. But if it's happening on one side of me. And happening on my right hand side of me. That's kind of near. That is kind of near. However. If it is raining outside. And I am under the umbrella. What's it doing on my right side? What's it doing on my left side? What's it doing where I am? It is not raining. It will not come near me because I got my protection up. So no matter which way I go, I got my protection. It's keeping me from getting wet. No matter where I go, that rain didn't get near enough to me to do anything to me. Only with your eyes shall you look and see where the rain falls. <laughs> and see the reward of the wicked only with your eyes you won't experience it I'll see it I'll see people this way this way all over here but not not me verse 9 because you have made the Lord who is my refuge even the most high your dwelling place no evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. But see, this is, this is based on the fact that you are in the secret place of the Most High. And in this one, that you dwell with him. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Now, how can you make him your dwelling place if you don't obey what he says? How is he your dwelling place? Because the way that a, a parent offers protection to the children is to look out for who might be coming for the children. And the, the younger the children are, the more you don't want that child to get too far away from you. Right? You want that child within eyeshot. You want that child within a certain sphere so that you can step on in and help that out. Step on in and if, if, if someone comes over who's going to harm, if someone's coming over who, who means trouble, you're right there. You all know as parents, you don't like it when those kids are not in your sight. But there will come a day as they grow up 
And you go to the mall. Every time you've gone to the mall before, they have gone where you go. When you go to a store, they go to the store. When you leave the store, they leave the store. When you go to the food court, they go to the food court. Whatever table you're sitting at, they sit at. But how many of y'all know there comes a day and they look up at you and they say, while you go into that store, can I go over into this store? Hmm. Well, he has permission, right? <laughs> hmm. This has not happened before. I don't like this. And then the day eventually comes where they, you both go to the mall and they say, all right, see you later, Mom. And they go in one direction and you go in another. But you see, you raised them up and you taught them things along the way to make sure that they didn't do so that when they were out there, they were still under your protection. Remember in Proverbs? Meditate on these words for their life. You've got you to gotta hang on to those words. You've got to hang on to the words that God says. The enemy wants you to challenge his words. The enemy wants you to take those that are in authority over you and challenge them, doubt them, be suspicious of them, think ill of them, think you're better off on your own. Constantly, you're being bombarded with these things. Don't ever think it will stop. Because the enemy knows in order to get you, he's got to separate you. And as long as you stay in the herd, they can't touch you. New Testament tells us, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. As is the habit of some. Don't do it. But you see, you get into church and start fellowshiping with the people and you find out they got imperfections. They got things that are going on in their life. Not so good. And the devil begins to have you fault find. Instead of correcting, you're judging. And then pretty soon you put space between you and the others. We spent some time on this area in correction. Because as a pastor, I would much rather make, I would much rather you all make your own corrections. Because they're more lasting. If we don't get it done there, I'd, I'd rather it be done in the second level. Will you hear something in the Word of God? There are many times I've taught things here on Sundays. Other pastors have done the same thing because there's something the Lord has shown us about what's going on. And you, you, you just, well, I hope they get it. There have been times, most of you are oblivious to this, I have said words up here that people in the church have said. I don't bring attention that somebody in the church have said it. I just bring it in there. Because my hope is, that you hear those things and you make the correction. Because if not, we have to go on to the next more stern areas. And I, like many other pastors, we've had conversations. We go away to places where the pastors, just about every single person in the body of Christ now. I don't know how it was in the New Testament days when you only had one church. But now, it's not one church. And if we ever advance to stage three in the areas of correction, Generally, we lose them. Almost 100% of the time that we have ever advanced to stage three in correcting someone, 
they have always either packed up and gone to another church or stopped going to church altogether. And so you know all that as a pastor. You know all, all that. As soon as you get to that level and you have to rebuke them, more than likely there's going to be separation. And people in the church don't just separate when they get to that spot. They got so full of pride, they generally tell everybody how everyone was wrong who treated them this way. Causing more of a problem in the church. Causing more of a problem for others. And then you're stuck with, well, do we tell them the whole situation that was going on? What, what do we do? First time I ran into this in church was with a church secretary who had been church secretary for something around 18, 20 years. It's a long time to be church secretary. This church secretary had a table in the back of the church that she set up every week. No one ever asked her to set it up. She set it up on her own and sat out there and greeted everybody on their way out. Everybody came by her table, talked with her. And whatever she was selling, she sold it right there. Whatever she was doing, she stirred up more problems for us back there on that table. So I come on into this. They brought me in. I was the assistant pastor. We were on the board for some things, and this is going on. And uh, I could see it. Not everybody can see all the, all the problems that are there. So the first thing we had to do was we had to make the board aware of what was going on. And so we had a thing that was going on and going on in the church. And I knew if we put this in this person's hands, I knew they would take it on their own to do it their own way. Apart from how the board said to do it. How the people that were in authority said to do it. I knew it. So we went ahead and did it. But I also knew that when they did this, everyone knew what was going on who had to know what was going on. And so when it happened and this person made this move and the entire group of people who was in authority over, over this saw it and they knew it was not miscommunicated what the idea was and the end result was far different and no one in authority authorized it. No one. So we were able to say, well, this has gone on quite a few times. And so we set, brought that person in and had to get to a point that it was, I would say, strong correction. Very strong correction. And we still left them in that position, but everyone was watching. Don't you know what happened again? And we had to remove that person from their place. What do you think that person did? Well, they stayed around the church for a while to cause as much trouble as they could. And we were in the, in the spot. Do we go public and tell everybody what has gone on? We didn't feel that was the right thing to do. So we just sat back and, and didn't do it. You know, you're always faced with that. Which way do you go? There's, there's bads no matter what happens. Had a similar problem with an organ player. Volunteered. Not a paid staff person. Volunteered, played the organ, and was playing the songs the way they wanted to, not the way they practiced. Playing the organ. Now, we don't have an organ here, so I'm not talking about anybody here. <laughs> but this... They had an organ, and they would practice, and they would all go a certain way, and on Sunday morning, when worship service was going on, they would change it, and they'd go in their own direction, and it was causing problems all around, and we had to sit the organ player down and say, you are dismissed from playing the organ, because they wouldn't change. 
And people say, well, this person gave so many years serving in that capacity. Why did you just... See, you don't know. You don't know. There's a whole lot more that goes on behind it than is there. We talked to you about a number of different things that have gone on in the area of correction, in the area of frustration, in the area of pride. And it's not because there isn't any issues. It's because there are some folks, even in this church, that we have some issues with this with. I am hopeful you make the corrections on your own. If not, I do have to go to another level. It's not just hard for the person who gets rebuked. It's also hard for the person who has to do the rebuking. Oh, you don't know how much of that that's tough. But, but fix it. There are still some people in churches who don't talk to each other. Can you imagine that? If you ever are in a church and there's somebody in that church you can't talk to, you better fix it. You better fix it on your own. Well, they won't talk to me. Well, what's stopping you from talking to them? Talk to them. Make it hard for them. This is what I did. If I ever found somebody, if I was working at a place and somebody who didn't want to talk to me, you know what I did? I made it hard for them. I would make it hard for them. Oh, I was so nice to them. How are you doing today? How's your... Um, she, she talks to me just fine, okay? <laughs> she talks to me just fine. <laughs> but I, not just, just using as a person. I would come up to them and, and say and over, over work, how you doing? How was your weekend? How's things going? And I'd force them to talk to me. I'd get them to that place to, to do it. You're, you're not going to get out of here and not talk to me. You are going to talk to me. And, uh, and then we go away. And if they're still having it, I'd come on up to them again. How you doing? How's things going? And if they gave me dirty, mean looks, I had ways to battle that too. I'm not going to tolerate you being angry at me. See, that's up to me. Sometimes people get angry at each other because they've made assumptions about each other. They've heard things. They've done things. And uh, now there are some people that are just obstinate. I have a neighbor. Obstinate. Born again. Well, he says he's born again Christian. Goes to church. I don't understand him. Everybody in the neighborhood thinks he's just lawsuit happy. Just sues everybody. Whatever, well, we're going to sue you. People work for him, we're going to sue you. We made a few, few entries there. He had no interest in it. Now, we don't go to church together. He wants the bill to go up. That's, that's fine. There are some people who are just going to be obnoxious to you. And you just can't win them over. You don't have to win over the world. But if you've got to work next to them, don't tolerate it. Make it so bad for them that they want to move. They want to go to another department. And then they'll replace them with somebody else. <laughs> but you can do it. Don't tolerate it. Get out there and, and, and be nice to them. And be kind to them. Think the best of them. Especially those in the body of Christ. Just be doing it. Help them out. Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Now I know I heard a great uh, a sermon and somebody used this as an example and told a great behind the scenes uh, scene why, why it is that God used a hen. I mean, of all the things that you were thinking about, of offering protection. 
How many of you are thinking hen? We think bear. <laughs> we think stuff like hen. Really? I don't remember what they said about it. I'm going to try and find that. I tried to find it before, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Usually I write some of that stuff down so I have it, but couldn't find it anywhere. But there's something really good about that. So if you go Google it or if you go look it up, maybe you'll find out what it was and you can tell me again what it, what it was. But there's something very interesting to why, why he used that particular example. Because I mean, why not at least use an eagle? You know, it's a hen. Hmm. All right, well, whatever the reason, we used a hen. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to pull us all in. And he wants to get us underneath that umbrella and protect and to cover. But if we don't listen, if we don't yield, he can't do it. He can't do it. If we don't walk in love, if we don't walk in submission, we let anger, frustration, replace the peace and joy of the things we're supposed to have. It's not good. There are exhortations he gave us in his word. We need to follow them. Because that's keeping us in a place where he can keep us protected. It's the same way with parents. It's the same way with bosses. It's the same place with any authority that is in our life. Their goal is to protect the goal is to, to help. And the thing of it all is, the thing about the umbrellas, the thing about the hens, is whoever is doing the covering is taking all the rain. It's taking all the sunshine. It's taking all the stuff that's trying to come down on you. That one that is in authority is taking all of that. And why are they doing it? So that it doesn't come near you. And what's the enemy trying to get us to do? Distrust our parents. Distrust our God. Distrust our boss. Distrust those in our authority over us. So that we can simply stand there in the rain and get wet. We can stand there in the sun and get burned. We can drift off from the pack and get devoured. Your God has provided for each one of us to be protected. Each one of us might be a covering, but each one of us is also covered. Don't distrust. Don't think poorly of those that are over, of those that are coverings. Pray for them. Because they take the shots. They break the wind. They block the sun. They shield you from the rain whenever it's needed. Have you ever heard an umbrella complain? Have you ever pulled that umbrella out of your car, popped it open, and heard the umbrella say, I don't want to get wet today? No matter what, we pull out that covering and it is always ready. How do you treat your coverings? How do you treat your God? Is the enemy trying to drive a wedge between you and your covering? You and your God? Is he trying to isolate you? He's not doing it to help you. He's doing it to hurt you. 
He's doing it so he can devour you. Don't let him do it. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we give you the praise and the glory. We thank you that all along you have been our covering. And what the enemy has intended to come down upon us, you have shielded us from. You have protected us from. We are under your wings. We are under your covering. We are under your umbrella. We thank you that day in and day out, you shield us. You protect us. And even though sometimes out of our mouth we have complained about the umbrella, we ask your forgiveness for that, Father. We thank you for all that you have provided, all that you have done. Give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. We have some praise reports. the healing power of Jesus Christ. That was when she came up and had uh, ministry with Anne when she was here. Um, Susan says, on Thursday, I had a lot of pain across my shoulders, but after Anne ministered to her, it was gone. Praise God. Uh, Susan said, um, thanking thanking the Lord for protection and provision after a young driver rear-ended my car. Brand new car, right? (laughs) Praise God. No, no injuries on that, right? Amen. Amen. How many of you get excited about our praise reports? You know, I get excited about these things. I want you all to get just as excited with me. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday at, at um, Praise's party, and I was just so overwhelmed by that party yesterday, in a good way. Um, because it's like I was looking at all these people that were there, and I was thinking, this is family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my family. And, you know, we're rejoicing over the fact that praise turned 16. You know, we have a 16th birthday party, you know, but, you know, there's a lot of kids who don't get to celebrate a 16th birthday party. They don't make it that far anymore. And I was just so excited about being at the party. I was tired, though, let me tell you, I'll be honest. It was a long, long week. But I was just so excited, and I want us to, when we hear these praise reports, this is God working on our behalf. Amen? This is God sending angels to protect Susan from that young driver. Amen? Hallelujah. Um, Anna says, I thank the Lord for his blessings. I prayed for a beautiful day. Thank you, Mama. I wanted the sunshine today. She says, and, um, and God gave it. And she said she wanted to bless all the mothers. I thank God for healing me from all of my problems. Amen. And how many of you know, it doesn't matter how old we get, God still wants us well. Hallelujah. Um, Nick says, tomorrow I have my final exam. I know that... Um, that it is finished because of God. I graduate on the 18th of May. Praise God, coming up. And I just want to praise Him for who He is, never leaving me and always walking before me. Praise the Lord. Um, Mercy and Jolly says, Thanks to all who came and embraced, oh, that's what we go, embraced our daughter's sweet 16th birthday. We were so blessed to have you. Special thanks. Oh, to my pastor's family. Well, you are more than welcome. I was just thinking this morning, too, how many of you got ministered to when Ann was here? Had hands laid on you and the power of God went in you? How many of you are still feeling the effects of it? Amen. Where are your praise reports? <laughs> Where are your praise reports? I was expecting so many today. We just had a whole week 
this, this week and God, his healing power was ministered to me and my body changed. That's why it says when they heard about Jesus, when they heard he was in the house, when they hear the healing power of God is manifested in this place, they're going to come and they're going to bring people. So your task for this week, tell people you were healed. <laughs> Amen. Happy Mama's Day today. It is Mother's Day. Moms, we have a gift for you out in the back there. And sometimes people like to take one home for a mom who's at, at home, and that's fine, but you've got to wait around until everybody else is gone. Make sure everybody gets one, and then you can, well, we can send the rest of them on, on home with whomever. No service on Wednesday. I don't know about you, but I was tired after this week. <laughs> we knew to, to expect that there are some, some things that go on with ministry, and we knew this one would be a little harder on us than, than most from times past, plus the location of the hotel and just a lot of different things that were going on with that. So uh, it was, we knew it would be a little bit tougher than usual, but um, we made it on through it. We appreciate all you folks who, who came on out here, but we just, everybody who's, who usually comes on Wednesday, you were either here every night or nearly every night. And so uh, we're just going to give you this Wednesday off to catch up on all those things you didn't do this, this past week that you normally do at nighttime, and then we will uh, pick it up in the, in the week to come. Uh, so nothing really going on this weekend, and Sunday we're back over for the, the Sunday morning service. We'll have uh, the foundations class. We'll go on after the morning service. That will happen on, on that one. And uh, the week following, I think we're back into the end times class. I think that's how that, that part of it goes. Uh, Jane and Tammy are coming. So get your batteries recharged. Yeah. They're coming on the uh, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll have them for five meetings. Um, Ethel was talking about we've never done four together. I think she means four non-Sundays. I think that's how it was. Because usually we, all of our meetings overlap on a Sunday. But we just couldn't get that to, to go with this one. They, had, they couldn't uh, do the overlap on the Sunday, so we took them for the nights that we could. And I uh, was glad to see the, the folks who got healed, the ministry that went on that happened in there. So Tuesday through Friday was uh, unusual for us to, to do, but that's when we could get them. And I didn't want to miss the Friday one because I figured if anybody could come out Friday, was only going to come out one time, Friday would probably be the time. And Wednesday and Friday, I think, were the, the biggest nights of the, of the meetings. But glad you uh, were able to make it on out. Get ready for Jay and Tammy coming on out as well. And we'll have that that going on. Uh, I think that is all that we have in the area of announcements. But thanks all for coming on out to the meetings, supporting them. We were able to give them a good offering, send them off blessed. Next door, they're going to have the Mother's Day, a little a little brunch. It's just a little thing to hold you over. You're all probably going out to restaurants or somebody's making a deep meal for you or something's going on. Uh, but it might be a little while until all that happens. So this is just something over there to, to help you out with that. So that's uh, mom's head on over. For, for that. Now, last year they did it, it was just the moms who went on over, and the dad stayed back over here. I don't know if they're doing that any different. 